Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Glad you could be with us today. Larry McKenzie just can't quit. Last July, he announced his retirement as a basketball coach for high school boys at Minneapolis North. Prior to that, he was leading teams at Patrick Henry High School and Holy Angels. He's been in the game for more than four decades and impacted many young people, both professionally and personally. He's also the first coach in Minnesota history to win six high school basketball state titles. And now he's back in the game. Instead of leading high school athletes, he is coaching other coaches. Coach McKenzie joined me earlier this year here in the studio. I asked him how he decided to move into his new role of guiding, training, and, well, coaching other coaches. Well, you know, the thing about it is uh, as a coach and you get to go around and you see other coaches and one of the things of being like one of the elders in the game, I, 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 get, I was getting a lot of call from young coaches, right, about how to do a practice plan. What do you do for fundraising? Uh, what's your defense? What's your offense? All of those kind of things. And so for me, uh, I've always understood the importance of having good mentors and the importance of mentorship. And so I just, I always tell people, I remember about 14 years old, my grandmother gave me a book by Napoleon Hill Stone. And one of the things in that book, she it, it talked about having knowledge and not sharing it. It's like having an atomic bomb and never dropping it, mm. right? And so for me, after 42 years and the various experiences that I've had, and the success, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't want to keep that to myself. So I wanted to share. And so about two years ago, to be honest with you, God just put it in my spirit, right? I want you to coach coaches. And, and you know, I mean, I always try to be obedient. And so we started to de- de- develop the outline uh, about things. And so right now we probably have about 10 or 12 coaches that we're talking to on a weekly basis, sharing information, uh, being there to do some uh, one-on-ones, uh, visiting practices, those kind of things, uh, and helping them become better coaches. So you have a new title. I'm now going to call you an elder in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's, I like that. That's, yeah, <laughs> I, I, and, and I'm proud to be an elder in the game. Right, because right? otherwise yeah. you wouldn't be here, right? Yeah, right, 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 yeah. You're 65. You and I were just joking about retirement, and mm-hmm. you said, we need a new word because you're not retired. What no, is it? No, I, I, that's what, I, you know, it's, 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 I think retirement is something that you, you have to say because people understand that when you're walking away from a certain occupation and that kind of stuff. But it, it's not the right word because I'm not, I'm not retired. You know, for me, it's, it's, I always say it's now writing the, the next chapter, mm-hmm. you know, um, doing something different, but certainly not retirement, going somewhere, sitting in a corner. Um, and it's, my it's energizing, isn't it, when you start a new chapter? Abs- absolutely. You know, it, it it really, really is, right? Because uh, it's it's it, one, it's the challenge of the unknown, right? Because you're mm-hmm. doing something new. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, a lot different than doing the same thing for 42 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know when the season starts. You know that it, when the – what time of year you're going to be playing the championship, all of those kind of things. But it is. It's very energizing, right? It, it really is. So it's 2023. Um, what makes a great high school coach today? You know what? So I always say this. I mean, so first of all, one of the uh, one of those quotes that I like to use uh, is um, 
that, you know, they say a coach can impact more lives uh, in a year than most people can in a lifetime. And I think a, a great coach is a great teacher slash mentor. Right. And it's really not about how much emphasis that you put on the X's and O's. It's really an opportunity to to change lives. And I've, I've always said, like for me in my journey, it, it, it's like it was like being an artist. I get a I get a, a, a lump of clay. That's a 14 year old young boy <laughs> mm-hmm. that I get to mold for three or four years and leave me as an 18 year old young man. And so I, I just think a, a, a good coach is someone that's not so caught up into what the record is or any of those kind of things. But understand that it is a vehicle, whatever sport that you're coaching is really an opportunity, right, to have a captured audience to change lives. And you do that by example. You do. I mean, you've already dropped a bunch of quotes on us. You, how do you do that? How well, do you- I, I think so, so. First and foremost, you're right. I mean, I think leadership starts at the top, right? And so I always talk about, you know, our kids don't need role models; they need real models, you know. And oftentimes, those role models, I mean, they see folks on TV and all, but you can't really have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I've I've always said, again, in my journey. Probably 80 percent of the young men that I coach, there wasn't a father in the house. There wasn't a man in the house. So my responsibility, first and foremost, was to teach them how to be a man, to help them understand what was ahead of them. So I knew all the time they would be watching me. It's not what I say. But it was what I did, right? How so, you walk, how, how you I talk, talk, how you of, show right, up. And how I show up. And so I, it was always important for me uh, in terms of how they saw me with my wife, how they saw me with my kids, how they saw me with my grandkids, right? Um, and, and I've always been, e- even with raising my kids, I never wanted to be one of these people that say, don't do what I do, do what I say, mm-hmm. right? And so the, to me, it's important to lead by example. But it's also important to help kids uh, because nobody's perfect, right? So we're, we're going to all make mistakes. And so when, when kids get, you know, get off track or, uh, or, or things like that, you know, it's not throwing in the towel. It's, it's helping them work through those situations. But I, I, think, I think as coaches, particularly at the high school level, because, you know, I mean, you want to help kids go to college. But the most important thing is that opportunity to prepare them to become productive. Adults. So there's this line, though, uh, you've got to follow some rules, right? And you have to uh, not overstep boundaries because you, you want to and you have been involved in personal growth, right? And as well as, you know, academic growth. So how do you know, like, what's okay to talk to your student athletes about and like where you shouldn't go? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. For me, I mean, I, I know that you have rules, but when it when when it comes for me, when it came to my players and my kids, uh, I was going to do what was best for them. You know what I'm saying? As, as uh, with within the rules as as much as I can. But um, I, I wasn't going to uh, watch kids uh, not have something to eat. You know, I wasn't going to watch not not help a family who didn't have a place to stay. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to not 
provide transportation to kids that I knew that I had to get back and forth to the homeless shelter and those kind of things. And so and those are real examples. And those are real examples. Right. And so uh, I was going to do it. And again, one of the things I think oftentimes and we as we even talk about rules, you know, sometimes the rule makers get caught into one size fit all. And one of the things that I've always, I, I, I guess, had an issue with is, is that one size fit all. Right. And so all kids and, and I always tell people, parents would say, you know, I, I would tell people, my parents at the beginning of the year, I don't treat all kids the same. Uh, I'm going to treat them fair, but I don't treat all kids the same because kids, all kids, every, they, they need something different. Right. And so. um and I don't know where that came from uh, of, of wanting to treat everybody the same, but you can't treat everybody the same because everybody's not in the same place. Right. Uh, maturity wise, economic wise, uh, all of those kind of things. So for me, you know, uh, and I think I did a good job. I, I, I didn't have a, a many challenges from administration or, or Minnesota State High School League in terms of violating rules. But. Uh, and, and so one of the things that Angela, that we, we kind of talked about pre-show is I also knew at times there was a separation in Coach McKenzie and Larry McKenzie. And so sometimes the kids needed Coach McKenzie, but there were other times I needed to be Larry McKenzie for those kids. And we've had many conversations on this show about the youth mental health crisis. We've talked a lot about the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. You were a coach at um, Minneapolis North in 2020 when George Floyd uh, was killed. How did you talk to your students about that? Well, good question. So the first thing, in all honesty, I'll never forget that morning waking up, seeing that video. First thing I did was, uh, and at that time we were in the midst of COVID. So um, I sent out a message to our kids, uh, we needed to hop on Zoom. I, I called my son. I remember saying, you know, I, I need to hear your voice. But in that, the first thing I did with my current player, my former players, my 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 son was, I said, I need to apologize. I need to apologize because I've gotten so busy as an educator, as a coach, doing other things that I forgot about this fight, right? For Philando Castillo, Jamar Clark, uh, Eric Gray. I mean, all of those that had gone before George Floyd, like this was not the first time. And so one of the things that I need to apologize for that I'm not going to get too busy to be in this fight to make sure that we're doing some things that this won't happen again, first and foremost. And then we just it, at that point, what I told my kids, I just wanted to listen, share with me about how you're feeling. But also, Angela, we, you know, I mean, I always try to think outside of the box. We did something very unique. I called my friends and I raised some money and we were able to hire uh, a good friend of mine, Jatan White, who's a mental health therapist, as a mental health coach. And so she would come to practice and be available to our kids Right. You didn't have to talk to coach or whatever. If you had something going on and you needed somebody to talk to, we had a professional there to support our kids. And so moving forward, what do you think was the how how were these young men affected by having those steps in the immediate days after uh, George Floyd was killed, having that 
opportunity to have someone listen to them to talk about it and uh, access to a mental health professional? I, I think it helped, but it, but I'm going to be honest with you. It was scary. Uh, so one of the things that was really interesting, my first day that I started at uh, Minneapolis North, that first week was the killing of Jamar Clark three blocks away from North High School. And so what was scary, to be honest with you, was looking in the player's eyes and you could almost see through them because this was such a regular occurrence that they didn't really know how they felt. And to me, that was the most scariest part. And that was one of the reasons that I thought I needed to seek out some a real professional to have uh, for them to have access to because the I mean, you could see the pain. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can also in their silence hear the pain. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to you. It does. Uh, and, and so we, we, you know, and so that was one of the reasons of seeking out a professional. But, uh, you know, part of the challenge, I mean, and, and my kids had so much to, so many challenges to because deal this, with. these are their neighborhoods. This is not a news story. This is their community. This is their community, right? right? Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, in, in addition to all the trauma, in addition to the impact of COVID, one of the things that I tell people about, you know, even just going through the COVID, one of the things I don't think a lot of people, including educators, understood for kids, in particular, a lot of kids, I'll say Northside kids, inner city kids. Right. School was the most sacred, safest place for them. And it was something up until COVID that they can always count on. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter what was going on at home, no matter what was going on in the community, I could go to school be with my friends, have people who care. Routine and structure and safety. And safety, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there anymore. So that, people don't realize the trauma that that created, you know? So all of a sudden, I lost that. What I've always been able to count on all of my life, it wasn't there anymore. Um, And so, and then George Floyd, right? We're out of school. Nothing's going on. All you can do is watch TV. And now the whole world got to witness this uh, and, and uh, the pain of that. And so, I, you know, I, I think we, you know, in having those conversations, obviously it was great for the kids to have someone to listen to them. But I just think the nature of, of that pain and the, the, the fact that it was so reoccurring we just dealt with some of the surface issues. And it's 2023. Things have changed. Some things have not. So as you are talking with other coaches now about the, the, the student athletes that they're working closely with, what are you saying to them about how they should be interacting with their students and, and talking to them? One of the things I tell them all the time, it's really critical that you get to know your kid, not as a point guard, not as a shooting guard or a post player. You got to you got to know your kids. You got to know what's going on. So like for me, routinely every day. And and I just took this out of the the, uh, uh, coach Popovich book from from San Antonio. Every single day in practice, I made a habit. Uh, Let my assistant coaches run and drills. I would literally make sure that I spent. 30 seconds to a minute with every single kid uh, at practice. How was your day? What's going on in school? 
what's going on with you and your girlfriend, those kind of things. But I think you got to get to know your kids, pay attention to what's going on. Uh, when you see kids, uh, you know, start to distance themselves a little bit, you know, a kid that may have been, you know, talkative or whatever, find out what's going on. You got to know your kids. That That's that's one of the most critical parts of of coaching, right? Knowing what's going on. Stay tuned to what's going on in the community. Uh, observe who your kids are hanging out with, you know, places that as much as you can. I, I think that that's a critical part of, of, of one of being successful, Right. Because uh, you got to know your kids beyond the, the court or the, the track or the football field. And the goal is also to win games. Absolutely. So what's the connection between what you're talking about, getting to know your students and their and athletes and their needs, having a, a relationship, a personal relationship with them and motivating them to work as a team that wins? So I'll, I'll say this, Angela, for me. I think the thing, and I always say this, I, I, I'll, I'll tell people, I don't think I was the greatest X and O guy or any of that kind of stuff. The, the, the reason that I won was because I gave my kids unconditional love. I love them and they love me and they play that way for me. Uh, and so I also tell coaches, particularly young coaches, if, if winning a championship is your definition of success at the end of the year, there's only four coaches that are successful. And so one <laughs> of the things that you have to do at the beginning of the year, you have to redefine success, right? And so in redefining success, is that making sure that your kids are going to class on time? Is that making sure, you know, for us, I mean, it was important that my kids be scholar athletes, right? And so we measured that by the percentage of our kids that were A B honor roll students. You know what I'm saying? And so when you have and many of them were ninety seven percent of kids in our program were A B honor roll students. So you have to redefine that because it the champion winning a championship cannot be, you know, the the end all be all. And so but but I, I just think that if you, you know, again, I always say, if I think if you love them, they'll love you, and you'll see that out on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I always tell people that was that was my secret to winning that my kids would run through a wall for me because they knew that if we called coach at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, if he said he was going to be there, he would be there. Now back to the conversation with longtime boys basketball coach Larry McKenzie. He has six state championships under his belt. He retired from Minneapolis North High School in 2022, and I spoke with him earlier this year about his life and his new chapter, Coaching Other Coaches. And we talked about how hard it is on young people to have an experience with a bad coach. That's also part of the reason that I wanted to uh, start this coaches. Uh, uh, academy uh, because mm-hmm. I witnessed a situation. I was at a youth tournament and I witnessed a situation of a young man. Uh, I'm sure he was feeling new coaching, but the language, uh, the the way that he challenged his kids was, in my opinion, was so inappropriate. Body language, body and language, verbal. right? And 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 I just went over and introduced myself and hey, here's my name and number. Can I? 
you know, let, let, can I have a conversation with you? Right. You and so like for me, because, because mm-hmm. what you said, and I, and I tell young coaches all the time, right. That initial experience, you know, and I know your son was a baseball player and all of those mm-hmm. kind. but the, the first, that first coach, if that's a bad experience, it's going to change that kid's idea and mm-hmm. concepts about the game forever. It makes some kids hate the game, mm-hmm. right? And so it's so important um, as, as a coach because you, you, I mean, if you, it can make or break the spirit of that young person. Right. And so their self-esteem, their self-esteem right. and all of those kind of things. And in any sport, I mean, I don't care if it's checkers, chess, baseball, basketball. Confidence is is important. It's it's important. And so uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, part of wanting to do this is because I I witness what, what I would consider bad coaching, young coaches, men and women, so driven by the win, by winning. Right. Uh, wanting to 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 win and equating that to being successful, that they were doing it the wrong way. Uh, earlier, you called yourself uh, an elder in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what were you like uh, when you were younger? What were what were your coaching experiences when you were playing in high school? Well, for all of my coaches, when I was playing, I would owe them an apology. What were you doing? I, I, I always, I always tell, I, I always say that you, you know, part of, uh, I always say that uh, Larry McKenzie couldn't play for Coach McKenzie. I, I was a kid um, who, honestly, uh, as a young person, I had some anger issues, um, and I didn't always show up as my best self. You know what I'm saying? Tell uh, me what that looked like. Your anger um, issues. So, so one of the stories that I tell is, I always say I grew up in a two-parent, single-parent household. My dad worked three jobs all of my life and was not necessarily available, you know, to see me play and support me in the kind of way that uh, that I thought he should. Now, there was a lot more to that. We don't have a whole lot and of time. And that was down south. And that was in my, yep, Miami, Florida, that we don't have time to talk about. And so one of the things that I have to say during that time, I didn't understand in that time and space the challenges for my dad of being a black man in the South, right? Until I got older. But but nonetheless, I, I took that anger with me every place that I go. So there were days uh, I was blessed to be a pretty good player, right? And so in knowing that, uh, there were days that I would go to practice, but I wouldn't practice, you know? Um, what would you do? Just sit and watch. Because I didn't feel like it. You weren't feeling it. Yeah, I just wasn't feeling it. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, good, bad, or indifferent, I I had coaches, you know, and and that's one of the things that I guess I learned in my own coaching, right? The team has always got to be bigger than any other player. Uh, my, my, My middle school and high school coaches didn't handle it that way. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, Mac, when you're ready. You know, I mean, literally, I, I remember, like, walking into practice and, like, okay, I mean, you know, day before big game and coach saying to me, okay, Mac, are you you good today or what? You know? and It was an option. It, yeah. It, you know, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, I mean, I, I learned from from that experiences. But, uh, but, but what's interesting is that when I came to college, um, I uh, – and, and, and as you know um, – I'm a member of a uh, historical 
Black Fraternity. Oh, you got to just say it. Kappa Alpha Psi. Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> and so my my college advisor at 19 years old saw something in me that nobody else, I, I guess, saw. He he saw the potential that I really have. And I owe John K. Cameron so much uh, in, in terms of my life, in terms of mentoring. And so he just took me under his wing. Uh, you know, he 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 kind of talked to me about the anger and some some of the things that I that I was carrying. He could see it, uh, work through it. Uh, would say, you know, Mac, when you feel it coming on, remember those that the gods first made angry, uh, they wish to destroy. And when you get angry and you lose it, you lose the ability to analyze and you got so much talent and ability to be a leader. You're not only hurting yourself, you hurt other people. And uh, he changed my life in so many ways. I mean, he taught me so much about, you know, being in the right places and spaces, how to dress, how to talk, all of those kind of things. And so but he never, ever allowed me to give him a Father's Day card, Christmas gift, never let me let me uh, pay for lunch or dinner or any of those kind of things. My first job at Prudential Insurance Company, he picked me up in the car. He drove me to the interview. Uh, and, and so the thing that he always would say to me when I tried to thank him, you know, with some material things, he said, Mac, the only thing that I want from you is that when the day come, I want you to allow other people to stand on your shoulders the way that you've stood on mine. And so I tell people my work in community with young people is me try, making an attempt to pay him back for what he did in my life. I, I am. Uh, they say people people know my success. They don't know my story. I am who I am so much because of John K. Cameron. And with the anger, what what you learned is you had an understanding that it was holding you back from Correct. being who you could really be, Correct. the greatness that was waiting for and you. That, and that's exactly the point that he helped me get to. Yeah. All right. I want to take a phone call as we talk with Coach uh, Larry McKenzie uh, here in the studio with me about what makes a great coach, his new work, post-retirement, the new chapter, coaching <laughs> other coaches. In St. Paul, we have Nita on the line. Good morning, Nita. What did you want to tell us? Oh, good morning. I Hi. want to tell you that I had a I had a great coach in high school. Um, his name was Mel Branch, and it was in St. Paul, Minnesota. This was in the 70s when there was no women's track team. And so mm-hmm. he was he was asked as a football coach to uh, coach to begin the women's track team. And so he went around individually, and he would see different um, young women in school, and he'd come up to us and ask us, um, you know, you want to join the team? And um, your other friends are still, so-and-so's, you know, Dawn, she's on the track team, and I already talked to Adelaide, she's on the track team. And so he, he kind of used that approach because none of us were really runners. Mm-hmm. And so that worked. And so he said, well, come to the meeting. So we all came to the meeting. We saw our friends there, you know. And so um, he kind of joined us together as a team because he believed in us. That was the biggest thing. He had a task to start a women's track team. We didn't have the confidence and we didn't have the skill. And he put it all together for us. Mm. And um, 
he worked us like the football team. <laughs> and how did it go, Nita? Did you have some success as a team? Oh, we did. We did because he always used us. He always asked, had us to encourage each other, and he always complimented us, and he always had us compliment each other as we did mm-hmm. good or not so good. We had we cheered each other on. We watched each other as um, somebody that was doing the high jump. Uh-huh. We all would gather around and cheered that person on, or if we were running a relay, the rest of the team cheered us on. So we became very close. And you had each some, other. And you had some wins, sounds like. We had some wins. We actually we won the conference championship the very first year that they had women's oh, track. Uh, that's a beautiful story. That's a yeah. Nita and St. Paul College. What do you think about that, Coach? Well, I, rem- I, I, I remember Coach Branch. Uh, oh. uh, I think he was one of the first people I met when I uh, actually got out of school here. And so a lot of times our kids need – someone else to believe in them before they can believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. But say that actually, again. Yeah, say that yeah again? They, they need someone else to believe in them before they can believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that is extremely important. And, and that is one of those things about being a good coach, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the, the kids to, to believe in themselves, right? And then uh, believing as a team and so again that old quote i got a lot of them right um (laughs) you uh dream it believe it and you achieve it right and and that's what coach branch did coach let's take some more phone calls from listeners uh in uh eden prairie we have brant on the line hey brant thank you for waiting and what do you want to tell us well thank you and uh coach larry thank you so much for all you do i've never met you uh but I can guarantee you that you've influenced many, many kids for the rest of their lives. Uh, I had two twin brothers younger than me. Uh, I, we all played baseball. Uh, I was older. Uh, during the same period of time, uh, both our teams won a championship. It's not all about winning. Uh, their coach uh, drove them incessantly hard. Uh, turns out later, he, he well, not that it mattered, but he was an alcoholic. But uh, my brothers never loved sports again until they were parents. Hmm. And gradually got back into it and 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 started to love it again. And they they lamented it how much they wished they would have played uh, their high school years. On me, on the other hand, I had a great coach. I had great experiences. Um, you know, I learned how to make it fun, and and my joy of sports carried down to my son, uh, who also uh, I think experienced wonderful uh, coaching and uh, hmm. and shared that with kids that he coached. So. Uh, again, thank you, Coach Larry. Thanks for having the show. And uh, I'll, I'll, thank you, Brand. If you guys want me to say anything else, I'll be happy to. But I'm sure you're done with me. Yeah, no, thank you for calling in. So we talk about, I mean, the the power of coaches over a lifetime. And Brand, you know, describing a bad experience that his younger brothers had. Yeah, I, I think so. So here's what I would say to that: There's two kind of people, right? There are people that take their, you know, that solve their problems uh, through motivation and scripture and then there's those that find uh try to find a solution in alcohol and drugs and unfortunately uh because of that coach experience and his choice you know what i'm saying I, like hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. and and to me that that's what sound like that happened uh in in that situation right that coach was bringing stuff to practice when you retired last summer uh, you talked about uh, concerns that you were having, deep concerns about um, 
seeing now so much focus on athletes as individuals rather than teammates, uh, meaning image and, and social media followings, opportunities to represent brands. So it sounds like what's happening on the college and professional level is trickling down to high school athletes and their families now. So, so absolutely. And, I, and I'm reading this book now by Judy Flanagan called Take Back the Game. And now people, people, kids have so much to do with their social status, right? Mm -hmm. If your kid's a good player, like that just adds something extra to Mm -hmm. to who you are and all of those kind of things. Number eight, that's my Right. And and so Mm -hmm. what, 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 what bothered me was you go to a game and you hear parents and you see parents that don't cheer for the team. And, and you've been to games. You've mm-hmm. probably heard this, right? So I, my kid got the ball. Pass the ball. Pass the ball. Another somebody else's kid get the ball. Pass the ball. Your Their kid get the ball. Shoot the ball. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, it, as a team, it really wasn't about cheering for the team anymore. It was so much about the individual kid and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so what should they've been cheering like the team name like like yeah, yeah I mean I, I just think you know the it's a team sport right right, right? And, and you should be really cheering for all kids to mm-hmm. be successful and if you're a parent and right and you're sitting in the stands you don't want to hear somebody bad mouthing your kid right and so uh you their parent right. They don't want anybody saying negative things. So why are you in the stands or, you know, saying negative things about somebody else's kid? So I just think the emphasis on the team was mm-hmm. disappearing. And then uh, with the the pass- passing of NIL at the high school level, that was very disturbing to me. What does that mean? And the, the name, image, and likeness, right? Okay. And the ability to pay kids to advertise and all of those kind of things. So it's contradictory to team because now I got one kid sitting in my uh, locker room who's got a contract for $5,000. He's representing the neighborhood barbecue store. Right. And then you've got another kid for $1,000. And so this kid that's maybe be, that's got this $5,000 name, image, and likeness agreement, does that kid expect to play more? Probably in his mind, and his in his parents' mind, he does. Then I got a kid that's not playing who parent wants to have a meeting because you're costing my son money because he doesn't play. You know what I'm saying? Oh so gosh. I just think it's, the emphasis it's, it's, has, the gone, emphasis has gone away. To, so it's so now you've already got these parents who aren't cheering for, you know, the team, but more say more so focus on the individual success of their kid. Now they're really not because this name, image, and likeness thing at the high school level, it, it, it to me, I just thought it would create separation in the locker room. Uh, right now, uh, to my knowledge, I think there's still only one or two high school kids that have taken advantage of it. But I just think long term, it's, it's going to create a, 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 a issue in the locker room, particularly at the high school level. I mean, they're so young. Th- you, you, well, but but you're already dealing with, you know, some some the academics and other kind of challenges that you have. And now this other layer of dealing with these kids. And then here's my biggest concern. And, and, and I spoke to this at a convention that I that I was in a few months ago. There's no education. There's no education. So I hand the Davis family five thousand dollars. 
right, to represent uh, my store. Mm-hmm. And if you're not from a background that understand you got a LLC, so now you spend the $5,000. Well, a few months later, somebody called the IRS is going to be knocking on your door wanting their percentage. And you thought that the $5,000 was your five thousand, you know, and, right. and so there's no education of, 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 of the process of the process how of how to right. right. And and to me, uh, I, I I think that needs to be a precursor to you know that you 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 should have to be educated, have a some type of certification that you've gone through these classes and that you understand what's mm-hmm. connected to these dollars before mm-hmm. we just start handing kids checks at the high school level. In Minneapolis, Amal is on the line. Good morning, Amal. What do you want to tell us? Good morning, ma'am. Yes, I just wanted to say that I was, uh, I'm a graduate from North I in 99. And I just, I don't want to be off topic, but me playing sports, football and basketball, more basketball. um, I'm 41 now. And the structure that I still hold on to from being on a team with Coach B, Coach Ingram and Coach Mm -hmm. Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just awesome, and I still hold that that um, unity, the, the the hot and cold, and the and, you know I just hold that still till today, and I just I'm just blessed for being on uh, North High's team. Oh, thank you for calling Amal, and for calling me, ma'am. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you, thank you, guys, and um for for the guy who was just talking. I'm sorry, didn't mm-hmm. catch your name, but thank you for putting that out there because. Financial uh, teaching mm-hmm. is a must. We, we we definitely need to figure out how to tap in on the finance part because, I, once again, I, I, I experienced getting money and blowing it and not knowing what to do. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, Amal, this is uh, Coach McKenzie. I j- just retired from North High and uh, right. know Coach Ingram, Coach Brown, um, all of those guys. And so uh, – yeah, that I mean, and that is what coaches can do, you know, for for young people, right? Uh, yep. And and I think to your point, here's what's critical, you know, especially in this time and space, uh, Angela. There, kids don't get right now. The emphasis is so much on standardized testing and all of those kind of things, and so you're losing. You you don't get an opportunity for the the character development that, you know, time management, integrity, all of those kinds of things. And that's the stuff that coaches have to do on the basketball court. Um, Thank you, Amal, for calling in. Uh, I want to make sure we talk about this, uh, Coach McKenzie. How do you teach student athletes how to lose? How do you guide them um, accepting a loss, learning from a loss, appreciating a loss? For me, in in those situations, you always find the the life lessons in in the in the loss, right? Uh, losing is learning, right? And so, uh, at, at, at moments, right, you you talk about things like uh, giving your best effort. Did you you know in, in those situations? Did you give your best effort? Could you have done more? Uh, in preparation, you know, one of the things that we mm-hmm. that we would do is you have film and you have uh, uh, scouting reports and all of those kind of things. Studying, right? Did you did you could you could you have spent? And, and so one of the things that I always try to do in losing is 
take that opportunity to transfer that into uh, a life experience. And, and understanding this, like in life, everything doesn't go the way that you want it to go. Right. You're, you're going to mm-hmm. have some ups and downs. And so, again, you have to learn to, you know, stay in the moment, you know, get up, dust yourself off and get going again. And, and, and one of the things that I particularly used to tell my young men, like in life, I mean, there's situations where you will lose. But you if you have kids and you have a house payment and those kind of things, you don't have a whole lot of time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Right. Keep it moving. It's it's Mm -hmm. over and you got to keep it moving. And so for me, that what that's what I found in those opportunities. Right. How do I use this to transfer this into an experience that they're going to see in life? Yeah. Like for me, I've lost my job, but that doesn't mean that you don't go find, you know, another opportunity because you have responsibilities. Let's take another phone call as we. Talk with Coach Larry McKenzie in Minneapolis. Lewis is on the phone. Good morning, Lewis. What do you want to share with us or ask? Uh, good morning, Angela. Um, I'm a product of Minneapolis Central High School, and I was there in the late 50s Ooh. and early early 60s, actually 1960s when I graduated. I had a coach named Earl Ball, uh, one of the best coaches in the city of Minneapolis that I've ever known anyway. What, what uh, is his name again, Lewis? Earl, Earl Bowman. Dr. Okay. Earl Bowman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mr. McKenzie knows who he is. One of my mentors yeah. and one of my fraternity brothers. And one of my mentors as well, because I coached football in the park system for many years as a result of having experience with him. But he was a taskmaster, but he also had a real care for the kids and one of the first black coaches in the city of Minneapolis. Wow. Thank you. That's uh, Lewis uh, from Minneapolis. And Lewis, what did he teach you that you have really carried through your life? Uh, you know, wanting to help kids move and advance in life. Um, uh, enough people in our community don't do that. Larry's done an excellent job. Uh, as I said, I've spent many years coaching football and basketball in the park and rec system. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm going on 82 now, so I don't, don't do that anymore, but it is, uh, it's important for us to reach out to the community, especially to the young people and spend time with them, teach them and let them learn how to be real adults. Mm. Thank you. That's Lewis uh, from Minneapolis. Another one of your mentors. Yeah. 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 Dr. Earl Bowman. Yep. So he uh, uh, I'm, I met him. Uh, he was also president of uh, uh, Minneapolis Community College and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, yeah. And, and, and I want to go back to what he, uh, the, the gentleman just said. One of the things, Angela, you talked about earlier, you know, when I walk in at the beginning of, of the year, you got a new group of kids every year. I tell my kids this. This is my another one of my little quotes here. If I could change your mind, I could change your life. Right. So much about what's going to transpire is your thinking. Right. And and whether you positive or negative. And I always say that the brain is the greatest computer that's ever been invented. Right. Bad data in, bad data out. And so we have to learn to help them good data in but if you could, if I could change your mind I could change your life and part of changing your mind is getting you to believe in yourself having having you understand that if you can set goals and that's a whole nother thing that we did with our kids around setting goals but if you can set goals 
you know, uh, there's a lot of challenges in this country. But no matter what, you can still be whatever you want to be. And uh, to all the adults listening right now, uh, many of us, we don't have any great coaching abilities, but we're, we, we're still role models, right? What Absolute, advice do you I, have I, just I, to I, people who care about kids and want to do something? Well, I, I think... And we have just 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I think, first of all, love them unconditionally. Yeah, you know... On their good days and bad days. Good days and bad days. Help them understand that they don't have to be perfect. We've been listening back to a conversation I had earlier this year with Larry McKenzie, a longtime high school boys basketball coach. He retired from coaching student-athletes last year, and he is now coaching other coaches. Be safe, everybody. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.